0: Girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, we have actual football on the books. We have a week to recap. It feels so good. Are you feeling good? How was
1: your weekend? It was okay. Um, Virginia Tech isn't playing football for another week now, so I have that to now wait on. That that was unfortunately that news was speculating on was kind of hitting the airwaves on Friday and then came to fruition on Saturday morning that the UVA opener was going to get canceled. So that was unfortunate news.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Virginia Tech now having their their first game postponed a second time after the NC State opener was originally Mm -hmm. postponed for NC State COVID outbreaks. And now we found out this weekend, and we'll start here with the news real quick, is that the, uh, the opener they were supposed to have now at home against Virginia in week two has now been postponed uh, for Virginia Tech's own COVID outbreak. So now these two teams will open their seasons on the 26th of September instead of the 19th. Uh, Virginia will be playing Duke and Virginia Tech playing NC State. I, I mean, Mike, there, again, we've talked about this a little bit this I don't know, maybe it brings a little bit of credence or uh, validity to the concerns from Caleb Farley earlier in the offseason, but not a great time to be seeing, you know, kind of an outbreak going on within the team here uh, as the season's getting underway.
1: Yeah, so there were rumors about Virginia Tech having issues with their COVID numbers um, going back to, like, July and August, Mm -hmm. Um, but Virginia Tech, you know, they interpret FERPA, which, you know, are regulations federally. Um, regarding disclosing medical information, etc., you know, Virginia Tech's interpretation of that information has made it hard for them to disclose more than they want to. Um, I don't necessarily agree with their interpretation of FERPA. Um, but they don't feel the need to report the COVID numbers to the media, which I think is, you know, is fine if they don't want to record it. But what ends up happening is you lose the PR battle um, when. The news comes out that you've had a COVID outbreak and you haven't really disclosed any of the information makes people think that you're not doing a great job controlling it. So once again, for the second time in this offseason, Virginia Tech loses the PR battle from a COVID standpoint. Uh we were able, we being the media, were able to talk to With Babcock on Saturday, right after news came out about the cancellation. And he didn't dive into a ton of details other than You know, there are certain benchmarks that schools need to hit in order to be ready to play, and he cited an example of, you know, having enough offensive linemen would be one qualification. He didn't say that was necessarily a good case with Virginia Tech, but, you know, it's safe to say that Virginia Tech had multiple position groups that were not going to be able to play. Um, I've heard varying numbers, upwards of 40 to 50 players in quarantine. Um, That doesn't mean that they have 40 to 50 positives. It just means that from a contact tracing standpoint, um, Virginia Tech does not have a lot of players that are cleared and medically healthy right now. I will say that Whit mm-hmm. Babcock mentioned from a contact tracing standpoint that um, there wasn't like a super spreader event that
0: mm-hmm. they've been
1: able to pinpoint. Contact tracing efforts, I guess, were successful, but they weren't able to kind of nail it down to like one event that caused the entire team to get it. Uh, they've just had multiple positives, and that's led to... Um, upwards of 40 to 50 players in quarantine. Um, so it's not great for Virginia Tech. Um, they haven't done a great job recently with with the mitigation efforts. Obviously, I, I think postponing the game is the right decision on a number of levels. Number one, they weren't healthy enough. But number two, you're going to want the spread to other programs. So I think that's a good thing if we're going to take um, some sort of optimistic view of this thing. Um, but no matter what these schools are doing, you're going to deal with outbreaks throughout the year. This one with Virginia Tech just happens to not be very good and happens to spoil what was supposed to be the opener. So now Virginia Tech gets to play NC State again for their opener. But now it's not going to be September
0: 26th. Time's a flat circle, Mike. Nothing ever changes in 2020. It's all the same. Everything's always the same. Yep. Except we have That's football power. now, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, not the best news. Um, but, again, hopefully something that Virginia Tech is able to get resolved and, and – other teams can learn from this and kind of avoid that type of issue. Um, they're not the first team in the conference to have to deal with this type of issue, and I, I just suspect they're probably not going to be the last um, as right. the season goes on and teams are traveling and coming into contact with other teams. I mean, it's it's all kind of dangerous, it feels like, to be to be playing at all right now. But uh, in any case, it's yeah, not great news, but just wanted to make sure we keep the uh, people informed and, you know, hopefully everything resolves itself here in the next couple of weeks.
1: Yep, hopefully,
0: but not great for the Hodies. Not ideal. Mike, we have games to recap. Um, and there's nice only do. one of them, really, that was a surprising outcome. And it is a pleasure for me to start this podcast and start season five of the Basketball Conference Podcast Weekly Recast by telling you that my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets mm-hmm. beat the Florida State Seminoles 16 to 13 in Tallahassee on Saturday afternoon. And Mike, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I called them my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. I probably should have said our Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets here. They made us some money, Joey. They did make us some money. That is that is always a good thing. Uh, I told the people, by the way. I told the people if you were so inclined to bet the money, money line, line, that was about money three line. plus three fifty five is what we were seeing, and I'm kicking myself for not just tossing a couple shekels on that just in case.
1: Yeah. Um i didn't i didn't take your uh your word for it on the money line picks i thought it was a little bit bold um but virginia tech hits or virginia tech i'm sorry georgia tech florida state hit the under. georgia tech covers the uh, obnoxious i'll call it an obnoxious spread given what we knew about florida state and all the turnover and all the uncertainty they had new coaching staff new scheme tons of new players like There were some questions for Florida State. They have a really good defensive line, Asante Samuel Jr. Obviously in the secondary is a really good player, but they're replacing a running back. They're replacing pieces on offensive line that wasn't very good to begin with. And they have some questions outside at receiver um, that we talked about in the preview. So it's not like Florida State wasn't without questions. That's before you even dive into all the changes that took place on the coaching staff. Uh, On Georgia Tech's front, the question that I had for Kelly Quinlan when we had him on the preseason preview was what are we going to see out of Georgia Tech's offense? What is that going to look like? Are we going to have more clarity from a scheme perspective? And he said, yes, we'll be getting some more answers to those questions this year. Boy, oh boy, did we get answers to those questions in week one. Not only does Georgia Tech look like a coherent offense that knows kind of what they feel like they want to do, they have a quarterback, Joey. Jeff Sims, former Florida State recruit, Adds another layer to this story. Sure does. He committed from the program once Mike Norvell came to town. Commits to Georgia Tech, four-star quarterback. He throws for 277 yards, rushes for another 64 yards on the ground. did have two interceptions, but overall was really, really impressive in his debut, Joey. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And Georgia Tech looks like not only do they have a quarterback they're going to stick with, um, but a kid that actually has a chance to be pretty good. Um, and, And they found him in an opener as a true freshman a kid that steps in in prime time in week one and takes care of it, man, this is just a really, really impressive performance by Georgia Tech. And I'm really disappointed in what I saw out of Florida State. Um, Florida State, offensive line, really, really bad. They got bullied up up front. Um, they didn't really look good from an offensive standpoint. At quarterback, James Blackman, looked pretty average, as you excuse my fiance's dog barking. Good
0: boy. Good boy.
1: Yeah, good boy. Yeah. Um, yeah, James Blackman didn't look all that impressive, but even more so, the running game was real bad for Georgia Tech. Alter for Florida State. I'm sorry, I'll turn back over to you, Joey.
0: <laughs> well, it's 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 hard to talk at the same time as your dog, Mike. But um, I yeah, I had a lot of thoughts here. I was really impressed with a lot of what I saw from Georgia Tech here. Um, I will say, I mean, the Georgia Tech's defensive line maybe looked a little bit better in the face of a Florida State offensive line that still clearly is having its issues. Um, There were some missed assignments. There were a lot of issues that Florida State had in the offensive line. But certainly defensively, I was really impressed with Georgia Tech, I would have to say. Uh, I I mean, what the secondary was able to do, that is a really talented core of guys in in the Florida State receiving core. And, and, I mean, they were struggling to throw the ball, and and Blackman was making a lot of tough decisions. But uh, at the same time, Whenever he was throwing some deep balls and, and even some balls that were kind of, you know, they weren't quite on time, Georgia Tech's secondary wasn't making them easy catches. I mean, they were they were all over those receivers uh, kind of all afternoon. Some really impressive hitting, physicality you saw. Uh, Tariq Carpenter in particular absolutely laid out to Maury and Terry right before halftime. Uh, ended up with both of them getting hurt. Um, and so I, I wanted to start there was that I felt like Georgia Tech's defense, especially in the second half, was quite impressive here against what is as disorganized as they might still be at times, you know under, in week one under a new coach. This is still a really talented offense for Mike Norvell, at least in terms of skill talent in the quarterback position. There's a lot of capability there if the execution isn't. Um, so shout out to Georgia Tech's defense on that. And then offensively, I was blown away, Mike, with what we saw, not only from Jeff Sims, true freshman quarterback goes in there not only is showing that he can make a lot of throws, that he can do a lot of different things on the offense, but then he makes a couple of pretty brutal freshman moment-type mistakes, you know, in the first half, and that didn't wreck him. You know, he was able to pull it back together and make a lot of plays down the stretch, both with his arm and with his legs. Um, really impressed there. I was really impressed with the receiving core. I thought they were able to come up with some pretty impressive catches and getting open. The run game was, was okay, but again, that was... The offensive line held up pretty well against what is a pretty dominant Florida State defensive line, might be the best in the country. A lot of good things to say here. I I really like the way that Georgia Tech utilized the running backs in the passing game. Uh, You had receptions from Dante Smith, Jordan Mason, Jemias Griffin. Using those guys in the screen game to kind of slow down that defensive line just a little bit. Um, A lot of mixing it up. Really just this was a way more cohesive and coherent offensive scheme and game plan than anything we saw last year and Jeff Sims looked incredibly confident and calm and and I mean made a lot of plays even when having to improvise I can't say enough good things I was I was incredibly impressed with this performance from Georgia Tech
1: yeah and I mean the fact that they were able to shut down Florida State uh, with their defense I mean Florida State's offense never really got it going the running game wasn't that great James Blackman was under duress a, a good bit of the afternoon and he knew Georgia Tech's defense was going to be pretty good this year, but when you pair it with the performance of the offense, you have to be optimistic about what Georgia Tech can be this year and year two. There were a lot of questions coming out of year one for obvious reasons. The offense never looked comfortable. No quarter, single quarterback looked comfortable. And defensively, because the offense was so bad, it was a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Um, you, you were a bit more optimistic about what Georgia Tech's defense was going to be just because you, there were signs last year. There was never really a sign with the offense where you said, oh, yeah, they're really starting to turn a corner. That never came last year, leading to all these question marks coming into this year. But, man, oh, man, a lot of those questions were answered uh, with Jeff Sims coming in and playing the way he did. So Georgia Tech fans have to be optimistic for this opening performance. And not only to keep it close, but to get a win is huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll, I'll mention, too, the defense without a couple of its best players.
0: So there's opportunity to improve there special teams continues to be a, an exercise in just absolute futility. Um, you had two field goals and an extra point all blocked in this game. that was a mess. Um, you know, a couple of turnovers to clean up but Mike the thing that just it stuck out to me was even at halftime and in, in you know at the end of the third quarter you start looking at the numbers and you could look at this and maybe say oh it's fluky, a three point win come from behind that kind of thing like, this wouldn't happen again. Mike, Georgia Tech outplayed Florida State in this game. I mean, they outgained him by 130 yards, and really, especially down the stretch in the second half, made Florida State look extremely uncomfortable on offense. They they were struggling to get yards after the catch. James Blackman was second-guessing himself. Everything. So, again, really impressed. I think this is a really good sign of things to come. I'm not sure that Florida State is any better than the UCF team that Georgia Tech is uh, about to go play this next week, so we'll have to uh, revisit the yellow jackets after game two but hey all i know mike i bet georgia tech to go over two and a half wins we are in the driver's seat we are looking you good. are
1: you are not uh hitting a home run at your first at bat is the way to go
0: it, it, it feels good it feels good so uh yeah georgia tech 16 florida state 13 florida state i will say this and, and then we'll move on florida state is a team i think mike Again, it's very clear that they were in week one under a new coaching staff after a totally disrupted offseason. Like, there is still a lot of organization that has to happen and all that. But this is a team, again, get some reps under the belt, let the coaching staff do its thing. By like week eight or nine, this could still be a pretty legitimately good Florida State team. I, I think that's very much on the table.
1: Agree. No, I totally agree. We've been on that boat since day one. I still think that's possible. rebels are right higher. It's going to get worse before it gets better, all that stuff. But keep an eye on them. I totally agree. They have too much talent not to figure out a way to turn it around. Yep, absolutely. Elsewhere,
0: number 10, Notre Dame 27, Duke 13. This was less surprising. A little bit of what we expected, maybe a little bit closer than expected. I mean, it was 17-13 at the end of the third quarter, but it's also kind of what we mentioned on the uh, preview, Mike, and, and I remember specifically mentioning is that there's something about David Cutcliffe in these games where his teams are pretty physically outmatched, especially from a talent standpoint, and yet they always kind of have this way of, of dragging other teams down to their level on a lot of them and making it into a closer game than it necessarily should be or even really re- realistically was. It's closer on the, on the scoreboard.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. There was not really a moment in this game where I was like, oh my gosh, Notre Dame's in trouble. It never really felt that way, even when it was 17-13 and Duke was still kind of hanging around and in the game. It never really felt like Duke was going to win the game. Um, Notre Dame, uh, the one reaction I have is running back Kyron Williams. He is a true sophomore, but for all intents and purposes, he's a redshirt freshman. This was really his first appearance in a Notre Dame uniform, and man, was he impressive on the ground. One of the things we talked about um, when we discussed Notre Dame from a season preview standpoint was would they get better running the football this year? Because that's really what was missing a year ago when Ian Book is your second leading rusher. That means you haven't had a good rushing attack. Ian Book's a good player. He shouldn't be your second leading rusher. Kyron Williams was so impressive on so many levels. He had 19 carries for 112 yards. He had two catches for 93 yards. If you want to talk about explosive plays. Um, he was very, very good. It's the one major takeaway I have for this game from Notre Dame is that they found a running back in Kyron Williams. Jafar Armstrong, of course, still got in the game and played well um, in his own right, but he was less, a lot less featured than I expected. I thought that he'd have a much bigger role than than he did. It's clear Kyron Williams is the number one running back for Notre Dame. Ian Book are really. I, I will call it an efficient performance. He shook off an early interception. Um, first for 263 yards in this game on 1931 passing, so he was pretty decent. On the other side, I thought Chase Bryce was decent as well. 20 of 37 for 259. Um, Duke's offensive line uh, <laughs> for Chase Bryce. Uh, he, was, he wasn't sacked a bunch, um, but he was hurried a ton. Notre Dame's defense really wore down that Duke offensive line as the game went along. Um, but I, I think the one big takeaway from this is Duke kind of uglied it up a bit and Notre Dame has found a running back. And those are my two major takeaways. Now, whether or not Notre Dame finds receivers on the outside that can really play and make things difficult on better defenses than Duke remains to be seen. But at least Notre Dame has found a rushing attack, which is something that they were missing largely throughout all of last year.
0: Yeah, receiving receiving core is still a pretty big question for Notre Dame after you know, coming off of last year. Um a, a significant chunk of the passing yardage that Ian Book came away with was Kyron Williams on a 75-yard touchdown reception. Yeah, I mean, so like that's one big play to your running back that does not make me feel better about your wide receiving core. We'll say that. Um, not the prettiest day in South Bend either, so not the most conducive to throwing. But you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah, I don't have a ton to say here. I mean, Notre Dame came out of this game came out of the gates really cold here. Three straight three and outs to start the game. Not pretty. And then right after that, 12 plays, 96 yards, touchdown. So whatever was ailing them, they got got fixed pretty quickly um, and, and were able to take a lead into halftime. But, yeah, I, this is a game where you kind of expected Notre Dame to run away with it. They didn't quite do that, but it was never particularly close either, really, it felt like. It just kind of felt like an inevitability as, as the game wore on. So, I mean, I think all said, pretty good showing for Duke. Nice little warm up game for Notre Dame. They're probably going to have to be a little bit better than this to, uh, you know, if they're going to have a shot at making it into Charlotte. But again, not bad for me, either of these guys. Um,
1: I think that's all I got here. Anything else, Mike? I think Duke will be fine. I don't think they're going to be as bad as a lot of people think they would be. Um, they still have their fair share of questions, but ugling up a game against a Notre Dame team that we're all expecting to be pretty good is a decent start to the year, especially when you have a new quarterback in Chase Press.
0: Yep. Yeah, I think if, if you're a Duke fan, there's some pretty big positives you can take away from this. All, all things told, so uh, Notre Dame twenty-seven, Duke thirteen. Let's move on, Mike, to Chapel Hill, where North Carolina won thirty-one to six over the Syracuse Orange. That score, I feel like, doesn't really tell the story of the game. Um, this was a pretty ex- extensively ugly football game from an offensive standpoint for the first about forty <laughs> minutes of regulation um we're going to talk about Syracuse here in a minute at least from their offense but defensively I mean I thought they played pretty well North Carolina's defense gave Syracuse some problems so I like I liked what I saw from both of those teams that way um then around that 40 minute mark was when the avalanche just sort of started for North Carolina they were up 10 to 6 and then from there it was six plays 77 yards touchdown four plays 68 yards touchdown two plays 44 yards touchdown um I mean, that pretty quickly put the game away from them. I, I, so I, I wasn't really impressed by the slow start. Sam Howell made some bad decisions at times. It wasn't, wasn't really great all, all the time for North Carolina. But again, credit to Syracuse's defense. I mean, I thought that they, they did some things to make things more difficult for, for Sam Howell in that offense. On the other hand, Mike, Syracuse's offense did not do a whole lot of anything to make anything difficult for anybody but themselves, it was ugly
1: tommy devito yikes he's bad not good he is bad joey um we talked about the transition a year ago from eric dungy to tommy devito and syracuse should be in good hands coming off of a pretty successful year they had two years ago and the fact that maybe they wouldn't replicate a double digit win season but maybe they would be i don't know respectable Maybe take a couple small steps back but at least be a a tolerable team in the Atlantic. And then they had a really bad year last year because Tommy DeVito was terrible. And Tommy DeVito on Saturday against North Carolina against a secondary that is questionable. Joey goes 13 of 31 for 112 yards. Joey, is that bad? It's not good. It's not good. That's right. It's not Um, good. Yeah. And not only did that, did that whole thing become an issue passing the football for Syracuse, But from a rushing perspective, they also had a miserable day. 35 carries for 68 yards, Joey. It's not good. Really? It's not good. Um, North Carolina, on the other hand, I mean, you hit on it. Slow start for the offense, really for like two and a half quarters. And then they found a way to ruin my Saturday afternoon by scoring 21 points in the fourth quarter and covering.
0: Oh, don't blame UNC for that. Don't blame UNC for that. That's not on me. I will
1: blame I will blame UNC for that because the offense largely did not show up for the first two plus quarters of the football game. But you know what they did, Joey? They showed up in the fourth quarter.
0: They sure did. They did that. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. This game, like for Syracuse's offense, I'm trying to think of anything nice I can say. And I am struggling. Like, uh, they, they ran more plays than North Carolina did. That's is that a good thing? It 73 was for two to
1: 10-6.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, Tommy DeVito throwing the ball was inaccurate. When he was accurate, receivers were dropping the ball. The offensive line was a mess. North Carolina comes away with this game with seven sacks between DeVito and Culpepper. So uh, for those keeping score at home, they're on pace to give up more than the 50 sacks they gave up last year. So that's, that's not really improvement, as you would normally call it. Um, just a lack of consistency, a lack of rhythm. This, this whole thing, top to bottom, was a total mess for Syracuse. And I haven't heard anything kind of coming out of it that would be in the way of, you know, what Kenny Amatololo said about Navy, where they were going, like, non-contact in practice. So something, like, kind of extreme like that that would explain, okay, well, that makes more sense. Other than just Syracuse has kind of gotten off their practice schedule a couple times the last few weeks. And, you know, I don't know. But this was not... This was not a confidence-inspiring performance for Syracuse, even in all things considered being the first week of the year. Like, they looked completely out of sorts from start to finish on offense.
1: Yeah. The issue I have with Syracuse is there's now accumulating data regarding Tommy DeVito not being very good.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's going to be a problem, because he's really the only quarterback they have, in my opinion. So it's yeah. going to be a struggle if he can't turn this thing around.
0: Yep, yep. We're going to revisit this game here in a little bit when we get to awards, but I won't spoil that for now. Um, overall, if you're asking me about you know my North Carolina Tar Heels, Mike, um, I'm I'm not that concerned. Again, I mean once they once they were able to turn it on again late in the third quarter or so, I mean it was it was kind of what you expected from North Carolina. Again, they scored three touchdowns and I think 12 plays, so they started picking up yards in chunks and scoring and, and doing all sorts of things that you were thinking they were going to do, but little concerning it took him that long, especially at home and that kind of thing, but I think I'm okay with it for now, but we'll keep monitoring as they move forward.
1: Yeah, could have been a better start, but, I mean, the end result was about what we expected.
0: Yep. Number 18, North Carolina 31, Syracuse 6. We'll keep moving here, Mike. Number 1, Clemson 37, Wake Forest 13 in what I think was the embarrassing performance of the weekend. Mike, if you're Clemson, how are you not covering 34 points in this game? Come on!
1: Well, you're pulling all your starters out and not really playing too hard in the second half. That's how you know cover that game. No
0: kidding. Yeah, that oh. was
1: kind of disappointing. We'll revisit that as well. Um, Trevor Lawrence really freaking good. Twenty-two of twenty-eight, three fifty-one. A to touchdown. He looks like he's in mid-season form. Travis Etienne, seventeen carries, one hundred and two yards. Uh, Sam Hartman was fine like they had a couple of chunk plays in the passing game that kind of aided his yardage stats but he was only 11 for 21 passing through the air it was Clemson right I mean they did play Clemson um so I don't think it's too alarming of a performance from Hartman but I thought he was just kind of okay I think his yards were a little bit inflated um I was more concerned with Wake Forest rushing or lack thereof again you're playing Clemson but even against Clemson you should do better than 34 carries for 37 yards as a team that's really just not great Mm -hmm. um we were talking about in the preseason, you know, what are the, what's Wake Forest going to do without Sage Surratt, who opted out. Um, it looks like they've found a receiver in Taylor Moore and nine catches, 93 yards and a touchdown. Really strong game from him. So I think Wake Forest will be fine. They're well coached. Um, it's clear that, you know, there are some questions um, at, <laughs> on several layers of their team, but I think they'll be decent enough to be hanging around in games just how many games are they going to win that's a big question I still have some doubts about how good they can be from a win-loss standpoint
0: yep this game in a lot of ways was kind of what we expected I mean again Clemson never really felt threatened Wake Forest scored all 13 points in the second half and 10 of them in the fourth quarter after Clemson was pretty aggressively substituting out starters and uh, clearing the bench as Clemson is wont to do in some of these blowouts it's just that the actual score differential is not quite what we're used to from Clemson in those uh, in those situations. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have a lot to say here. I, I mean, again, Trevor Lawrence looked pretty great. It was incredibly efficient. There was a very clear talent differential here. Uh, Travis Etienne looked good. You know, they spread the ball around pretty well. Wake Forest, I, I will say this, and, and we were talking about this a little bit as the game wore on, Mike. There were one or two shots that Sam Hartman took in this game. Who, boy? um i it's a little it's maybe a little bit of dave clausen's kind of obsession with using his quarterbacks in the run game but it's also a little bit of sam dude you gotta learn how to take care of yourself because you're gonna get hurt and yeah uh, i don't know what you do after after that if you're wake forest
1: yeah he's not gonna face many defenses as good as clemson in fact he'll face no defenses as good as clemson but with all that being said he's got to learn how to take a hit or avoid the hit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there are ways to not get absolutely punished, and he's still got to try to figure that out.
0: There was one in particular later in the game that I think was maybe about right when he got taken out, but he had a uh, an instance where his, his leg or knee almost got rolled up on, and, ooh, it didn't look good. It did not that look That made, made me feel
1: uncomfortable. That hurt my knee. I, I think I texted you that. I was like, my knee hurts after watching that. Yep. Um, so glad he got up and was okay, but that, that could have been way worse than it ended up being.
0: Absolutely. So... I don't know, this game kind of was what it was. Uh, again, closer on the scoreboard than it realistically was on the field. But, you know, that is what it is. And um, I'm sure Dabo's having a word with the boosters about that whole uh, not covering thing in this kind of situation. I, I know if I were a booster and I had money on Clemson, which I'm not saying I did, but I'm also not saying I didn't, I would want to have a word with Dabo about that.
1: Agree. I'm really not saying I did
0: not. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, Number one, Clemson 37, Wake Forest 13. Uh, Let's move on to a couple of these out-of-conference games here, Mike. Miami 31, UAB 14. The De'Aaron King era kicks off with a bang. Miami didn't exactly blow out UAB. I think UAB, for what it's worth, defensively is is probably a little better than we were giving them credit for. It's It's a pretty decent, formidable defense. This Miami offense, though, I will say, is still very clearly a work in progress, and my other big thought here is that I think, that, I think they've got the run-pass balance about right in that they ran close to twice as many times as they passed it because running the ball very much effective between Cameron Harris and De'Aaron King, throwing the ball from De'Aaron King, not consistently effective.
1: Right, which is a bit problematic if they run into a team that takes away the run.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because Miami's offensive line – is still atrocious, mm-hmm. um, just not a very good offensive line. Don't worry, though. They were outdone by Florida State on Saturday, so mm-hmm. they'll be they'll be okay. Um, they run the ball very well. De'Ara Kane clearly adds an element to the running game at quarterback that um, really they didn't have with Nicozy Perry. I mean, we were adding – you know, we, we talked to Cam about, you know, Nicozy Perry being able to do enough in the running game as a quarterback from a dual threat standpoint, but he didn't he, – Can't do what DeArrow King does. That's pretty clear. Um, The athletic system in the pocket is uh, exceptional. Now, the issues that I have with Miami stem to the passing game where it wasn't great. I mean, DeArrow King's number, 16 to 24, sounds okay. He was efficient enough, but only 144 yards through the air. Vertical passing was just basically wholly non existent. A a lot of those quick passes out to the flat. Quick check downs like that's what you saw out there. King, you did see a lot from the vertical passing game for Miami. Number one, because I'm not sure Derek King can make those throws, but number two, because he doesn't have time to make those throws with how bad Miami's offensive line is. So they need to clean that up. Defensively, I thought Miami was fine. Um, UAB's offense isn't exactly anything to write home about, but I thought Miami's defense performed pretty well overall. Um, so I'm not totally concerned about Miami's defense or anything like that. I'm not really totally concerned about the offense. I do have some questions about how the offensive line is going to hold up once they get against better competition, and the lack of a vertical passing game is problematic, much like we mentioned with Notre Dame. Like if Notre Dame runs the ball well, they should win a lot of games because their defense is going to be good. I think Miami's going to be in the same boat, but once you're forced to throw, what's that going to look like? So I have a lot of the same questions about Miami that I do about Notre Dame in that regard.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, the deep passing game was a, a mess. I mean, King was just straight-up inaccurate in most of these cases, and in in some cases was thrown into double coverage or something like that. But the other thing that stuck out to me was this run game. Like, as ef- as effective as it was, and we'll we'll say, it it is not efficient. From what we saw in this game, it was not efficient. Like, where you would normally see a running back ripping off a bunch of carries between three and seven or eight yards, this is a bunch of carries between, like, a two-yard loss and a one-yard gain, and then like a 35-yard run. So I, I don't know how necessarily repeatable or consi- or you know uh, re- reliable that can be uh, for Miami from a rushing standpoint, but at the end of the day, if you're averaging six and a half yards per carry and you're getting a few of those breakaway runs here and there, it, it's got to be a positive sign to some degree. So I'll give them credit for that for sure. The offensive line only gave up a couple of sacks. Thankfully, Derek King is extremely athletic back there. And he is a serious problem for defenses. If you if you kind of miss him going after him on a pass rush, and he's able to get out into the field and start scrambling, whoo, he's a problem. So you know, really like what I saw. I think there's a lot of a lot of uh, potential there, but Miami does need to f- keep finishing up that product there on offense. And then defensively, I mean, I thought they had a pretty good game as well. So uh, no no major concerns there from what I could tell.
1: Yeah, I, I think people coming away from it saying oh the U isn't back Miami's not gonna be any good I mean I think we can pump the brakes on that a little bit um maybe they're not like 10 or 11 wins good but <laughs> I think they'll be they'll be good enough this year to not be uh, a complete embarrassment where they're losing to FIU and stuff like that I mean there's a clear progression they've made on offense I know it's UAB but th- there's a clear progression at least in the running game that wasn't very consistent a year ago that they seem to have in week one so let's see if they can repeat that
0: yep Miami 31, UAB 14. Uh, Let's move on here, Mike. Last conference game, or out-of-conference, FBS game, whatever we're going to call these. Uh, Louisville 35, Western Kentucky 21. Uh, Again, a game that probably wasn't quite as close as the scoreboard looked. Uh, Western Kentucky actually went up 7-0 in the first quarter, although it was kind of thanks to a, a little bit of a Louisville blunder to start the game that... Western Kentucky ends up with the ball on the one-yard line and punches it in in one play. So that was an easy uh, thank you very much kind of touchdown, but then Louisville goes and rips off uh, four touchdowns before halftime. It's 28-7. to seven. Um, Pretty dominant showing there, and then a final score again of 35-21 after Western Kentucky adds a late touchdown uh, to kind of pull within a couple of scores. But overall, I mean, it, again, maybe a couple of – Early season jitters, a couple of kinks to work out, but I liked what I saw from Louisville. I thought they looked pretty good.
1: Louisville covered. The game stayed under 57 and a half, so I'm happy on both those fronts. Mikel Cunningham, really good. 1934, 333, three touchdowns, one interception. He made a couple of really deep throws that I was extremely impressed with. Not many quarterbacks in the conference can make some of the throws he was making, so Mm -hmm. there's a ton of upside on Mikel Cunningham. We've talked about that extensively on this podcast, but... Yeah, he's a top two or three quarterback in the ACC, without a doubt. And I think he proved that in week one. Um, I expect that to continue. Um, defensively, you know, I I thought Louisville was really good defensively. I mean, the Western Kentucky, they really had to work for everything that they got. Tyrell Pigram, at quarterback, 10-23 for 129 at a touchdown. He was just okay. I mean, he hung in there. He was under constant pressure. That's been a theme. And with some of these games, Pigram was under so much pressure from the Louisville pass rush. Um, a lot of questions we had about Louisville were on the defensive side of the football, um, but I thought overall what they were able to do defensively in this game is encouraging and Western Kentucky wasn't that bad of a team last year, Joey. So the fact that they were able to look this good defensively in an opener is hopefully a sign of things to come for Louisville um, running the football. Western Kentucky carried it 35 times for 119 yards, 17 of those carries came from Tyrell Pigrome and scramble type situations. Um, so, I thought Louisville did a pretty nice job overall bottling up the running game for Western. And then I just, Louisville running the football, if there's one area that I think, you know, they might be able to grow from a little bit, it's just being a little bit more consistent in the running game. I thought JV on Hawkins was good, not great, 19 for 71 and a touchdown. He was fine, um, stayed under four yards of carry, though, and against a Western Kentucky defense that Louisville should be doing a little bit more with. I thought that that left a little bit to be desired, but I think we're overall nitpicking. I mean, it was just a really strong performance by Louisville um, through the air. They really didn't have to run it as much as they did, um, but it's something to monitor as they play against tougher competition moving forward. Absolutely. That's an offense that can kind of change gears,
0: too. To, you know, if, if a team is really loading up to stop the run, I mean, they have the ability to throw it. In in a lot of different directions to uh, to keep moving the ball. So, uh, Louisville thirty five, Western Kentucky twenty one. Last one, Mike. Pittsburgh fifty five. The Austin P Governors. Let's go P. Zero points. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, Mike. And I you know let's just be honest with each other. I didn't watch a second of this game. Um, I'm not even sure what channel it was on. I can go I can go back and check, but I, I'm not going to. Uh, fifty five nothing. Pretty dominant showing from Pittsburgh. Um, only takeaway if I have one, and I don't know, I'm not even sure this is a takeaway. I mean, this is just like a an onslaught from Pittsburgh. Um, Austin P ends up with one rushing yard on the day. That's If that tells you anything about how poor this went for them. The one thing I will point out is that Kenny Pickett finishes this game with completions of 51, 68, and 68 yards to DJ Turner, Shaki Jacques-Louis, and Jalen Barden. That's a good sign for getting more efficient if there has to be something here.
1: Yeah, I mean, if he throws the football deep down the field like that the rest of the way, then all of a sudden Pittsburgh's offense is going to look a lot different than we expect it to uh, because Kenny Pickett really hasn't done that throughout the course of his career at Pittsburgh. He's been pretty much a, a game manager through and through. Yep. So if that's an added element to the offense, it becomes a token of any consistency, I think Pittsburgh's offense is going to be in a lot better shape than we think. Um, I didn't watch a single second of this game either. There are better ways to spend a Saturday than watch Pittsburgh play Austin
0: Yep. Good start for the Panthers. Uh, Mike, you want to give out some awards real quick? Let's do it. The Go ACC moment of the week. Uh, We mentioned earlier that we were going to come back to the North Carolina-Syracuse game here, uh, and we have to do that real quick. Syracuse, uh, for all of their offensive ineptitude, part of it comes with the fact that they were pretty atrociously missing some opportunities, we'll say. Um, there was a, a segment kind of late in the second quarter that I felt necessary to bring up here. This felt like a t- true go ACC moment. So Syracuse struggling to get the ball moving and all this stuff. They got a punt, and they punt deep into North Carolina territory. Uh, North Carolina fields the punt and promptly drops it. Syracuse now falls on the ball, and they've got the ball first and 10 on about the 15-yard line. Um, a tailor-made opportunity. They're going to go in and they're going to score, and boy, we're heading to Covertown. Instead, they go three and out. It was a total of show of ineptitude. And then they send on the field goal unit. And then they have to call a timeout because the field goal unit doesn't have enough guys on the field. So not only are you presented with this golden opportunity in the middle of a game where you can't really get anything going, but then you do nothing with it. And then in attempting to do just like literally anything with it, you screwed up the procedure of getting the right guys on the field. Like, come on, Syracuse. Don't love that. You might be able to tell that I was a little bit invested in Syracuse keeping that game within roughly 23 points, and they just weren't able to.
1: What do you know? So was I. And yeah. um, shout out to Syracuse's defense in the fourth quarter, too, if we want to kind of go for another go ACC moment there. An extended moment It lasts basically an entire quarter. Mm-hmm. They forgot how to cover literally anybody in the fourth quarter, and Sam Howell had a field day.
0: That damn broke for sure. Uh, so go ACC to use Syracuse for, uh, for that show of ineptitude there in the first half. Um, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award, the inaugural one for this season, Mike. I feel like there's really only one way that we can send this.
1: This one's got to go to Clemson. It's going to Clemson, Joey. Why is it going to Clemson?
0: Clemson, you tried to appease the bettors. I I heard this stat before the game, Mike, that really sold me on betting this one. Clemson, in the last two years, had beaten Wake Forest by a combined score of 115-6. to 6. Wake Forest scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter of this game. That was the first touchdown Wake has scored against Clemson since 2017. 34 points, Clemson. That's all it took, and you couldn't get there. You tried.
1: Yeah. Some of us were a little bit more fortunate and had a 33. And, yeah, that still didn't work out for me. Clemson Mm -hmm. pulled all their starters in the third quarter. T.J. Ugulele came in. And... He looked fine, but it's one of those deals where they're running the ball so much there because it is a blowout, and Wake Forest is still trying kind of hard to not get totally blown out of the stadium, especially because they were at home. Not that they were playing in front of home fans, but they were at home. You don't want to get embarrassed on your home field. It's just Clemson couldn't have tried for another like six or seven minutes in this game to get into the 40s. I mean, that's all I needed.
0: I'm telling you, there's got to be some pissed-off boosters in that Clemson, uh, Clemson booster group. I'm imagining.
1: I'm not a Clemson booster, but I'm pissed off.
0: <laughs> right there with you. Uh, so, good on you, Clemson. You tried to cover the spread and just didn't. Uh, Shall Mike, we real, quick, mm-hmm.
1: real quick, I went 5-2 against the spread on Saturday. My two losses were Clemson refusing to cover and Syracuse giving up three touchdowns. So one of the worst beats of the college football season so far.
0: So. And, of course, I was on both of those of... Yeah, so I lost two out of my three, so it's officially college football season. What do you know?
1: Yep, we're back.
0: We are back. Uh, Mike, you want to go out some uh, Team of the Week? We're going to do this a little differently this year. Um, previously, we had done it in a way that was like we collectively picked one. I think we're both going to pick one. So we are your call. Who's the Team of the Week?
1: Yeah, and it could end up being the same one. I think it's definitely going to be the same one this week. My Team of the Week George Attack. I don't know how you yep. don't pick George Attack. Yep. Yep. Um, they were a decisive underdog, a two-score dog against Florida State to go into Tallahassee um, with Jeff Sims, a former Florida State commit, and he puts up over 300 all-purpose yards in the victory. It can't be anybody other than Georgia Tech, in my opinion.
0: Yep, with a yeah, big double-digit upset win in Tallahassee. I'm right there with you. And, and as such, my player of the week is Jeff Sims. Doing what he did in the spot that he did it, game one against the team that was recruiting him, this, that, and the other thing. Again, can't say enough good things. He's my ACC Player of the Week, Mike.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit different just because I knew that would probably be your pick. So uh, for the sake of being different here, I'm going to go with Trevor Lawrence. Um, Trevor Lawrence was as efficient as they come, 22-28, 351, a touchdown. He's in midseason form. Um, He got off to kind of a rough start last year. For some passes in there, he probably shouldn't have. He didn't do any of that against Wake Forest on Saturday, so hopefully he stays that efficient and ends up being more the version of Trevor Lawrence we saw towards the end of his freshman year rather than towards the beginning of his sophomore year. Um, I I thought just a really strong, efficient performance by him.
0: He did look great. He did look great. Mike, that's all I got on week one. Anything else? On to week two. On to week two. And by the way, we are still calling this like week one, week two, even though I think the rest of the world's calling it week two, week three. Nobody knows.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's we it's the only conference that matters is the one that we're talking about,
0: Joey. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. Go ACC to that. Um, all right, Mike. Well, let's get out of here. We're going to come back and preview the week two action of which there is plenty. Uh, in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I am at ftrsjoey. He is at Mike McDaniel VT, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, Basketball Conference Podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever you want to find podcasts, and uh, most importantly on the Anchor app. Appreciate those who have. And Mike, you want to tell people where they can find us on the social medias?
1: Facebook, facebookcom slash review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey.
0: Yes, sir. Please do. Appreciate those who have. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else? If we're good. You want to come back and preview week week two? Yes, sir. Soon. Feels so good. We're back. We're back, baby. We're back in the saddle. Back in the South. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC.